0: Hello everybody and welcome to our virtual 67 Pall Mall um, for now we're very pleased to welcome back our old favourite Jasper Morris MW author of Inside Burgundy and roving reporter within the Burgundy region um, who's going to be talking tonight about his top six Chalonese Vignerons so please do chat away on the side share with us what you're drinking and where you're drinking it from and put your photos on social media with hashtag 67 from home um, as usual we'll have 15 minutes at the end and, and the poll to do um, and a big welcome to Jasper. Jasper, how are you? Good evening, Rena. I'm extremely well. I've just had a couple of very cheerful days up in Chablis. Yeah, we 2019s, which uh, they're very keen on. That's the thing we know what you're doing because we watch your Instagram. So we're right, yes. Really. Wow, mm-hmm. indeed, indeed. The only thing with that is I then get various uh, producers who aren't on my visiting list. <laughs> <Me>. <laughs> well, it's nice to be popular. Yeah, well, uh, and you know, it's nice to be able to go and see the growers, which, of course, um, many, many critics have sadly stuck at home, um, but uh, anyway. Yeah, France is in a bit more of a lockdown France now. Becomes it becomes easier, yeah. Not, not, not sure that it is going to become easier in the next few months, but uh, let's hope. So, anyway. Okay, well, thank you very much, and we hope this, as always. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to change my mindset, sort of wipe Chablis out of the way, and move to the coach where I spent some time in February, beginning of March, as well, just before the lockdown, uh, going to see a number of the producers, which really firmed up my thinking about uh, this region, which gets forget- forgotten so often. And occasionally, somebody sort of drags it out and dusts it off and uh, does an article on Burgundy's forgotten region, and uh, Coach as is the next big thing. So far, it hasn't really happened. I think the region has lacked uh, a really clear locomotive as the french would put it um but there is now a grouping of 10 maybe it's gone up to 12 uh good very good domains um which group together in the same way that there's a group doing it in the south of burgundy and the macronay and they put on a show it was the the last event really that happened before lockdown uh the day before the french government said no more uh, and i was able to, go on to that and. Uh, Taste a few Cote Channonaise domains that I hadn't actually yet managed to visit. There are more that I would have done had it not been for COVID and uh, I still need to get to them. Um, the Cote has, has had some tricky times. I mean, it's based around the city of Channel, which is twice the size of bone and is one major centre. But the other commercial, or I should say economic, influence on the Cote was over inland, as I call it, so more towards Massif Central, which was the great um, mining area around Epinac, and Montceau-les-Mines, towns like that, which are now shells of what they once were. Um, But they really did have a significant economic influence in the area. And producers of the vineyards of the Cote Chalonneux would have uh, expected to be selling a lot of wine uh, to those in the 19th century thriving places. But uh, unfortunately, uh, even w- once they got over Phylloxera, so in the second half of the 19th century, by then the mines were falling out of use, and that area was no longer anything like as um, vibrant economically as it had been. And so quite a lot of the Cote Chalonnais didn't really get replanted immediately after Phylloxera. It did start to come back, uh, but along comes the Second World War, And uh, as it happens, the Cote is is exactly on the dividing line, uh, especially the Appalachian of Montagny, right on the dividing line between the uh, occupied France and Vichy France. And that was a a slightly uh, unhealthy place to be at that time. I might just uh, shut my window because otherwise there's noise of church clock coming in. It was a bit stuffy earlier. We've had, had a small storm this evening. Um, but so I opened the window to get some fresh air blowing through. Right, that should be better from the noise um, potential. It was actually, I was reading in a, in a history book of the area. There was one unfortunate lady whose home was um, in um, occupied France, but her garden was in free was in Vichy France. Uh, and she got stopped and arrested several times. She was sort of walking out of her door into her garden. She crossed the line anyway. Uh, we will also discover the importance of um, the German occupation when we start talking about the Premier Cru vineyards in the cote Um but I will, I will come to that in a minute. So we have five appellations to deal with, but we're only going to look at um, uh, four of the main villages, which are north to south, uh, Rully, Mercure, Juvry, and then Montagny. The order of tasting is going to reflect uh, how the wine should be tasted rather than that geographical order. So the village which we're not going to look at is Bouzeron, because the appellation of Bouzeron is specific to the Aligothée grape. and We just did an Aligothée Zoom with a, with a Bouzeron, which I think many of you I hope will have come to, uh, just uh, two or three weeks ago. So um, we decided to leave that out. Instead we will be having a Vigneron from Bouseron, uh with his Bourgogne Côte Chalonnaise. So that gives us a fifth appellation, Bourgoin Coach Chanonese, and we're going to double up with uh, two Mercureys, a village, and a premier crew, as Mercuray is the, the biggest of the uh, appellations. So that's a little bit the uh, the background. Um, yes, Mercure in terms of size is about double, 792 hectares. Next in line is really with 461. Uh Montani is 415. You can see I'm looking down, so I've got a little cheat sheet here. Don't remember them all. Givry is 393, and Bouzeron is just 161. Most of that isn't planted with Aligotto, so it doesn't count for, for Bouzeron. So across the piece, I think it's probably um, a fractionally under half the surface area of the cochonese is, is planted in white and just over half in red. I've chosen to go two whites, four reds, for our uh, selection. Um, <clears throat> obviously, one of the whites will be Montani, because Montani is only white. And the other is Rully, which is uh, about two thirds white these days. Um, so Chivri and mercury, clearly more red. Bourgogne and Cochalonnais uh, is a mix. Right. I have got in my glass the first wine, which is the Montani. So perhaps we can have the map for that. Everybody's chatting away busily. Thank you on the, on, on the chats, basically about where they come from. Just slicking my first, let me go up to full screen. So I'm going to take control, get out my little annotation buttons. So here we have um, the map of the um, Montani, and it's in a green and blue colouring uh, at this stage. I, think I might change that, that comes from my book, but second edition, I think we're going to change the colour schemes a bit. And you can see that an awful lot of it is Premier Crew, that's the green colour. And in fact, a lot that's village is down here in Saint Valorant, at the bottom of the screen, and that has only quite recently been uh, added into um, Montani um, in 1989. Prior to that, there were only uh, a couple of um, vineyards that stretched over into Saint-Venarin. Otherwise, the heart is in montagny les uh, hence the um, name of the appellation, and the small town of Buxy itself. So, originally, Montagny was 100% premier cru, but you had to have got a certain concentration of sugar and therefore alcoholic degree to be allowed to make it Premier crew; otherwise it's just village. But the reason they did that, it comes back to the um, discussion we were having about the Premier cruise and well, about the, the German occupation. Um, and I think it follows the D-977, which is here. I think the line of demarcation more or less followed that road. I'm not completely sure of that, but I have been told that. Um, but in any case, there was a risk that Germans were going to build uh, whatever it would be, munitions factories or anything else that they needed for their war effort on any land here, unless it was premier crew. So immediately, overnight in 1943, uh, they made all of Montaigne premier crew. Since then, uh, in 1989, um, they decided to bring it down to to something a little bit more reasonable. It's still way too much. It's still 60% is premier crew. Of the 50-odd names of Premier Cru vineyards, there are only about 20, which you will actually ever see on a label. And if a vineyard isn't interesting enough to be on the label in its own name, then arguably I don't think it should be Premier Cru. So you're broadly east-facing. You've got over on the right-hand side, you would have the Valley of of the Seine, and you've got Hills up to your left. So uh, your first bit of um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of trace the main contours round like that. So you've got wiggly contours uh, and um, the therefore the premier crews are either east facing uh, or mostly uh, east facing or south or southeast facing. Um, so we're, we're, we're pure east here and we're pure east here. Um, that's the east. Here we've got a bit of south in it. Here we're pretty much east again. Maybe Lake Coeur is a tiny bit northeast. Um, and you do get some slightly different soils. It's a particularly white, chalky soil up at the top here. All the geology is a little bit older than the rest of Burgundy. Um, you're in the Lyassic um, period, rather than in the Jurassic. Uh, nonetheless, the soils are not that dissimilar. But it does make monteney different, to my way of thinking, in taste from any of the other Cochellanese whites. And sometimes you do get a little bit of the marine oyster shell feeling of a, of a mini, a faint, faint touch of, of Chablis, not pure Camaritian, but you just, your brain, if served it blind, just can sometimes drift into that direction. So you've got the really powerful cooperative, the Carve de Buxy, which happily is a very good cooperative as well. And I think you, you may well find that all sorts of own label um, Bourgogne rouges in um, the UK market, at any rate, will have come from the Carve, uh, Carve de Bixi. Um And lots and lots of Montani. In fact, quite a few negociants uh, Montani will have been purchased out of the Carve de Buxi, And then um, the wines will have been there. The the maturation will have been done by the negociant. And there was something called Chateau de la Sole, was a producer. And then in 1992, when he was still very young, Stéphane Aladam set up his domain. And for a long time, he's been the leader in Montagne, so that's why I wanted to have his wine. This is actually his entry-level premier crew. So it's from younger vines from two vineyards. If I can find them again, they are Les Goures and Les Maroc. There is Les Maroc, and there is Les Goures around there. Uh, And the sort of vine's under 25 years old. um, And he makes them in stainless steel just to have a clean, crisp, um, classically Montagne, but um, not quite entry-level, he has Village 132, but uh, nonetheless something that's easy to drink and appreciate young. And we're doing all the wines in 2017 tonight because it's such a nice vintage and so accessible. And in fact, in the Cote Channonaise, they didn't have quite as big yields as they had in the Cote d'Or, partly because they hadn't suffered as much from the Frost in 2016. So they're more normal yields, um, good yields, but, but normal in the Cote Channonez. Um Now, Happily, uh, Stefan Allardham has been joined by several other domains, and I haven't got to see them all yet, uh, but uh, they're definitely on my list. And um, so alongside him uh, and Decalve de Buxi are, are very honourable uh, players and uh, good pricing. Uh, but there's Domaine Cognard, whose wines I tasted just before the lockdown, I was quite impressed with, good range of individual vineyards. Foyage vieux who I haven't been to yet, who I hear very good things about, and also Domaine Bertinay. Uh, I think Chateau de La Soul continues, but seems to have reduced uh, their imprint. And there's somebody else further north who has really good Montani, but I'm going to mention it when we come to his red wine. So uh, just at the moment, I have got my view options. I'm just going to reduce the map a little bit so I can actually see you now. keep in touch with what's going on on the chat as well. Can't do it at the moment, it's vanished, but I'm sure it'll be back. Mm. Mm. Right, at the moment, while I've got the map up and the screen up, I can't see your chat, but I'll catch up uh, with, with you a little bit later on. Mm. Good. So um, we'll just go back to uh, we 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 can lose Montani now um, unless we have any any comments. I I tell you what, I'd better um, I'm going to give up remote control and now I can see the chat and see if um, there's anything to take a look at. Right, no, so far not having any any particular comments, any particular questions, but do keep the information coming. So now you should be able to see a picture of a gentleman in a red jumper. with his rather nice little tables that you can see on the left of the picture, on the left-hand table, that's my laptop for uh, taking the notes, the glass of his red Ruli. Really. That is Vincent uh, Duray Gential, who, for me, I think is um, fair. yes, fairly definitely uh, the number one producer in this region. He's got a huge range of wines, which helps. Um, so he's got, uh, he's got one or two things outside. Um, uh, really, He's got, oddly enough, a Miss Saint-Georges Premier Cru, clunis Julien. He's got a bit of pilini um a Premier Cru in a village. Um, uh, he has a Mercury in a village Miss saint George, but otherwise, the vast majority of what he does is from Rudy and he's got he's up, six different bottlings of Premier Cru whites and three different reds, so fairly extensive. He's one of those relatively rare people, also in Burgundy, who is... Um, Absolutely uh, nailing it in both colors. David's asked me if he's better than Domain La Um I'm, I'm going to give you in a second a, a list of my, my sort of candidates, if you like. Um, pull that out so I don't forget anybody. Um, Domain La Folly I knew when I was starting back in the 80s, uh, Domain Direct were selling Domain La Folly and it was clearly one of the best around. It then fell on some very hard times. I think possibly the wrong family member uh, was in charge. And it almost ground to a halt and almost went under. And now a new generation has taken over, and it's been a huge struggle for them because they didn't have the funds. Uh, to begin with, they couldn't buy the new barrels. They couldn't buy the right machinery. I went to see them in February. I'm really impressed with what they're doing. I think it's still a work in progress, but they're definitely up there. Um, uh, I mean, I, I've sort of drawn up myself a little uh, as a system, giving one or maximum two people per... Appellation, two stars, and several people, one star. But Domaine Jacasson also gets a star. Really nice wines, not too expensive. Um, very well made in big volume. Domaine La Folle, uh, exciting stuff, and they're only going to get better in the next few years. Um, Domaine Bride, was Michel Bride, Stéphane, uh, is good. My friend Jean-Yves Defefe, makes a lovely Ruli. There's de uh, Defe, which is um, uh, Ellen uh, Jäger, married. Um, Didier de Fay, up Chablis, and so um, this was formerly a domain named Nipsa, after the, um, uh, the man who theoretically invented photography, other claimants exist. Uh, Claudie Chobard, daughter of Laurent Chobard, used to be the enologist um, for, for Durin. Uh, Ponceau, uh, no relation to Maurice Anthony Ponceau. You've got a lot of contenders, um, but I'm going to put Vincent Duray et Chantial out there on top. So let's take a look at the uh, at the wine. those of you who've got it. Those of you who can tear yourselves away from your piano lessons. It's a reference to a friend of mine who should be tuning in with his piano teacher. Uh, we'll have the map now if we may of Ruli right I'm going to have to go back to. Screen so I can see this better. Okay, right here we have the map of Ruli. It's not particularly big on my screen. Uh, Is that just me or um, can it be made a bit bigger? Might just be the way I've got my screen. Anyway, good enough to uh, for me to see what's going on and. Let's show you where the vineyards are. So you can actually see this, there's a blue and green color scheme, which affects Rulli. And then also down that wiggly line. Other side of it is Bouzeron, So I'll we'll be using this map again for the next line, too. Uh, the Bourgogne Coach is, which is in the village of Bouzeron. So you've got adjacent valleys. You don't actually have to go um, uh, very far away, because uh, if you were, let's think, here, probably no further away than that, here, here, and here, those three X's, you would have Chassin-Marcher, Santenay, and Marange. Uh, just sort of over the hills, but not far away. Um, so really, it starts on a, um, uh, a plateau with village wines here. You then come down into an east-facing slope with Premier Cruz. You then go up the other side of the little valley, and you've got some west-facing uh, vineyards of which these ones here uh, Premier Cruz, but mostly for red wines. Um, and then you have a further uh, east-facing slope, but not quite so um, classical vineyards. And you've got two up here, which are actually in the um, commune of Chani, rather than in uh, Ruli, which belong to mostly to Mendele Uh the Clos de Chien, which is a, a monopoly, and Clos Saint-Jacques, in which they think they might have a monopoly of the Premier Cru, but uh, other people have a village, Clos Saint-Jacques, as well. So uh, we are going to be looking at the last in the line, Margote. Let me know, can you see that map well enough, or is it a bit small? Someone make a comment on the side. That would be helpful. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just me that's uh, seeing it small. Um, so you're at the end of the line. As the um, valley begins to close in, it's, one has fallen and one has fire. Um we'll live with it. Um, so after that, you just get village vineyards. But Margotet and the one next door, Gressigny, are uh, actually amongst my um, favorite of the premier cruise uh, of Rudy, even though they are sort of uh, down there at the bottom. Um, I talked to Pierre de Benoit, who we're going to meet on screen shortly, um, about uh, Rudy, because he's got vineyards scattered all over the place. And he says you can expect to get um, sort of slightly fatter, richer wines up here, he described as horizontal wines, and from Montpellier down to Margate at the end, you get more uh, tension, more mineral style of wines, which he describes as vertical wines. So there you go. Um, anyway, this uh, Margate, which comes from uh, Vincent Dioroy gentil, and he makes all his, pretty much all his wines, certainly all the Premier crus the same way. So they are uh, barrel fermented and aged. Um, with 20% wood, and then they get blended to tank for a few extra months. Because he gives them quite a a good, long elevage. Um, But he's got, um, I mean, most of this vineyard, it's just over five hectares. But uh, um, at least 2 thirds of it is shared between Domaine de Villene, Domaine d'Auroie Gentile, and um, Domaine Chacasson. So so it's in very good hands. Um, And you're on a sort of marly limestone, uh, bedrock which is actually pretty similar of good white wine vineyards up in the uh, um, Cote d'Or as well. So um, these are nice old vines, um, planted in 1946 so they were 70 years old at this time and typically this is one of his more backward uh, age-worthy um, Rudies. and what you expect from Rudy on the whole is sort of fresh cheerful um, Immediate's not quite right, but they're wines that you can drink in the first two, three years. And it's rare that you keep a Rulli really much longer than five unless you had a particular wine that you wanted to. And this is a vineyard that you could keep longer. It's sure of the Reds as well. They're uh, sort of fresh and cheerful. Uh, and they're all about the fruit, not about the structure. Whereas in Shufri and especially Mercury, you do get much more structure. Mm. And certainly, with the comments I'm seeing on the chat, that there is significantly more depth, complexity. There's also, you can see that it's been made in oak, little biscuity touch at the end, but really in balance with the fruit. Uh, this is a wine with quite a lot of substance. is held up extremely well, blends in with that fruit. And um, sure, I'm happy to drink it now, but I'm probably going to give this a couple more years, I think, to get the best results. I sent my instructions back to uh, 67 headquarters of which growers I want, but I should have been a tiny bit more precise um, with which vineyards and got, for example, Stefan Adam's best Premier crew from uh, uh, from Montani to have been a fairer fight. But, uh, anyway, it was nice introductory wine, but this is altogether more serious, and uh, this I am going to be drinking with food. I have a very nice Ombre de Chevalier, uh, apparently this evening, uh, which is a Freshwater water fish, for a lake fish from Lake Geneva. Uh, much prized. Good, okay. Those are our two whites. We're not having a, a mercury white, nor a uh, givry white. Um, you're getting to be more of them um, because people often find they can charge more and they're easier to make and you can make bigger yields and so on um they tend to be a little bit sort of nutty and sometimes a bit licoricey um i think you can persuade me just about that there are some terroirs in matre which are better in white not so sure about juvery um and anyway i like the juvery reds enough not to want them to put too much white in there uh but since those villages are really about reds not whites i thought we would uh we would do that good David, if you're having pizza, you may have to have a blend of several of the wines all mixed in together, not topped with pineapple. OK. So uh, if there are no more questions on the two whites, i we have got a question since so on. Oh, ice gems, thank you, Alistair. Lovely comment. Ah, right. Uh, Hannah is comparing Francois Delaine. I, I used to buy his wines from his very first vintage when my friend Jean-Yves de Vervais was his sort of seller man. Uh, and he had some super wines from the, um, uh, from that part of the uh, world, the Cote Chalonaise. He lives in a village called Domeny, which is just north of it. And with La Bouxinoise, which is a carp property of Bourgogne Cote Chalines. Uh Okay. I um, want to know if there are any pointers because you can't really see the difference between the Rulli and the Bourgogne Cote Chalines. Um I haven't got the two wines uh, uh, in front of me, uh, but the... Uh, I, there's more Cochellanets reds so I'm more familiar with them than the whites um, I'm, I would expect probably a bit more length of flavour, you sometimes get a few apple-y notes in uh, really um, the tête de cuvee from François Delaine will have got a fair amount of oak, I don't know about the Buxignois version um, uh, but they're certainly both well made wine uh, yes, tete de is just a choice of the winemaker, to, which he used to do and still evidently does, on certain wines where he thinks he's got a particularly prime source and he thinks it, it's above standard level. It's, it's his choice. So there is no official uh, denotation there. Right. The fish is getting exciting on the, on the chat screen. But uh, if we may, we will move on to our next uh, map, if we can. Oh, we know we need to keep this map. I, sorry, sorry, Raynan. that was a that was a bum steer, as so they say. Uh, so now we're going up to the north half to the village of Booserol. I'll get rid of that. I'll Do it very carefully. <coughs> You'll see it's all in brown or brownish colour, brown, to designate um, um, uh, Booserol. And though it could all be Appalachian Booserol, broadly speaking, this band here is facing west-northwest and uh, is actually almost entirely planted up with aligoté, which then the producers can either declare as straight bourgoin aligoté, or, as long as they don't mind having a a lower allowance and yield, as bouzeron. And this bank here is facing the perfect southeast. uh, And so, in fact, if you're at the top of the slope, you may well have uh, aligoté, but if you're lower down the slope, uh, you will probably plant either Chardonnay or Pinot Noir, which you can't call Vuzeron, you have to call Bourgogne Côte and there are three special vineyards amongst them, uh, La Fortune and Domaine de Villaine make a La Fortune, Les Clous where they have some Chardonnay, uh, also in La Fortune, uh, Domaine Chancy uh, are the major holders there and they're actually coming up in the world after a few hiccups recently but they're coming back. They call themselves Maison Chancy but nowadays it's all main stuff. And, uh, the writing is too small, uh, I haven't po- called it quite correctly, sorry, but actually it's just uh, La Diguane, almost next to Les Clous, which is a five hectare vineyard, uh, of which um, most belongs to the main A and P, Ober and Pamela de Villene. A uh, couple of cheerful growers uh, who you may have heard of in a different context, as they are, of course, the co-owners of the main La Romani Conti. But for a long time now, they've had this business, uh, the small winery um, where indeed Aubert and Pamela used to um, live. So they've moved to a house in Sontenay now. Uh, and uh, one of their nephews, Pierre de Benoît, has taken over production from, I think, around about 2000. I will correct myself if I need to. Uh, but I think around about then uh, that he, he, he took over. So uh, he is an absolutely fascinating guy. Um, a uh, former um, parachuter, uh, termed, um biodynamic guru, and uh, leader of the Buzeron Appellation. But the Chansy I just mentioned would also be quite well known for Buzeron. And there is a lawyer who has bought himself a small domain and some vineyards based in Buzeron. And he's called the domain uh, Chant de Temis, Temis being a, a, a goddess of law. Uh, you can correct me if any lawyers, I'm sure we have some, I hope we have some lawyers uh, listening in, they can tell me. T-H-E-M-I-S. Um, so anyway, this is like, uh, so uh, you have two red uh, bourgogne coach chalonaise from um, uh, um, Domaine de Vilaine, La Fortune, which is very cheerful, a little bit more up front, slightly lighter style of wine, almost all goes into the uh, export market. And then you have La Diguane, which you'll also see in export market sell a little bit at cellar door, which I find significantly weightier and meatier uh, and they very much ration how many bottles you can have from the cellar, which is a shame because I would stock up with lots and lots if I were allowed to. Um, On we go. If we could just, I've got a couple of pictures here um, to share. There is Pierre looking a bit stern. Um, He can be more moustachioed than that. That's the beard. Um, I can never taste the latest vintage with him. It's always what they are offering, which is typically two years old for village and three-year-old for premier crew. A deliberate choice, Uh, not that they can't sell their stuff, because they most certainly can. Um, And they recently developed their cellar. Uh, So the original cellar looked like this, like this, like this, with these wonderful, uh, what the French call foudre, or the Germans would say foudre. Um, I don't know what we say, they're sort of large ovals. Uh, you can see this one here. If you can read the writing, that's got Buzeron in it. Um, but I think the uh, the red certainly used to be made in, in these as well. Um, but because they've actually managed to take on another domain, which they are melding into uh, their own one, uh, they've had to build an extension to the cellar, which we are about to see. Uh, here it is. And everything has been done. Uh, the bricks are, are special. Uh, bricks, which I can't remember the detail of it, but made in a biodynamic way. You've got a sort of Cistercian vault up here. The cement in the floor has been mixed using the lees of wines from the domain, and this is where they keep um, the wines which uh, go in normal-sized barrels rather than in in the big ones. So that gives you a little bit of uh, an indication of um, uh, what's going on there. And uh, so this is the um, Diguan, which um, in 2017 uh, is a wine that's made with about half, 50 to 60% perhaps of a whole bunch, um, and uh, with uh, reasonably old vines, which is nice. And um, it's vinified in exactly the same way as their uh, Fortune, the Fortune vineyard, but it comes out significantly weightier because of um, the location of, of, of where it is. And it's a dark fruit with with some tannins, normally. I'm saying this. That's the theory. Let's let's get a little taste. I bought some of the 18 and started drinking. I drank the first bottle and then send it away. Always getting a bit cheeky on the chat, I notice. Please feel free to continue. Yeah, so this is a nice, deep, dense red, still very useful, but then it's only three years old. Uh, The 18 was sort of red fruit notes were were tipping over into black fruits. Here we are absolutely in pure red. Mm. spicy notes Um, someone's offered cloves which is a nice idea Um, licorice root uh, yes I wouldn't have thought of that which is very good you've got a fair amount of tannins in there not in an ugly way they're quite fine tannins but they're definitely present Um, which is why I'm saying that I think this is a wine uh, that I would want to keep Um, I remember Joy of Joys on one of our Um, en primeur tours of Bordeaux um, when we escaped, uh, we were doing the days in Saint-Mignon and uh, we went to a wine bar restaurant, not sure if it still exists, called uh, L'Envers du Décor, so the opposite of Décor Décor turned upside down, which is very trendy and had a hip wine list and it had the uh, 2005 uh, De Vulen, La Digouane Pinot Noir on it and by then we were coming towards the end of our Prima tasting. Uh, I don't remember which vintage it was. Probably 08, so it would have been in 09. And we just tested something else. We ordered a bottle of that and it lasted seconds. So we ordered the second bottle and it was just uh, one of the most pleasurable drinks um, to uh, just change our uh, thinking for a minute. Um, drinking from and to. Um, okay, so myself and my palate I'm maybe only a year away from starting it, and it's certainly got five years. Um, it's one of those things, If I, I wouldn't be meaning to keep it more than that, but if I found that I kept the bottle back for 10 years, I bet I wouldn't be unhappy. And indeed my neighbour once a year, except sadly unable to do this, but she's been doing it since, I think the first vintage was the 1978 vintage, so it would have happened in 1988, uh, her tenure on tasting. And um, which, in fact, Clive Coates uh, really, really was behind um, with her. And uh, we would also encourage people to bring 20 year old vintages. And quite often, um, amongst the 20 year old vintages will be either uh, 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 an Aligote or the Bourgoin Diguan from um, the Mende Villene. And uh, it never has any difficulty in, in holding up. So just don't worry. Uh, really good Pinot Noir a like this, you can keep as long as you have a mind to, as long as you can stay healthy Healthy for. Right. So that's our first red and uh, outside uh, the, the specific villages. So we're now going to start taking a look at uh, two mercuries followed by a Jivry. So here's our map of mercury. Are you able to make that a bit bigger or not, Ronan? I'm going to give it a go before you take over from me? Uh, I can do. You'll have to give me a minute, though. But, yeah, I will do. Okay. I will give you a minute, and I will tell you about Anna and Isabel Hazard, Hazard. Uh, also known as Domaine de Champs de l'Abbaye, the fields of the Abbey. And uh, they began life because they come into wine from outside. <laughs> yes. Sir. Um, and uh, they settled in a place called the Couchoir, uh, which, if you have been following me closely on Instagram or on my website, you'll see I went and did a little tour of the Couchoir at the very beginning of August. Um, and the Couchoir sort of heads well inland from the very bottom of the Côte de Bon Marange, or uh, heading west from uh, Mercury, I would say. And it's partly on limestone, partly on granite and other soils. And it's it's sort of a, thank you, Raymond. it's sort of a, um, and you've given us chivalry. And we go back to Um, Macquarie. And uh, uh, that's where they started. And they made wines with micro-yields. It wasn't that they extracted too much, but the fact the yields were so small and they were so intensely, insanely meticulous in everything they did, the wines were hyper-concentrated and hugely tannic. I think our, um, our friend with the perfect Morningside accent, Zubair Mohammed of Rayburn Fine Wines, may still have on his list some of the Côte de wines that the uh, uh, Azards Anna and uh, Isabel started making um, when, uh, <clears throat> in the Cushua. They started there in 1997. They turned um, organic biodynamic right from the start. Uh, and then in 2006, they moved um, out of um, the Khushwa to this little place, I don't know, hang on, I'm going to have to take back control, apologies. This little village here called Aluse, um, which is sort of uh, halfway between, here's Rudi up here, here's Mercury, so probably where their houses, you go up this road here, it's probably about there, and their vineyards are, are split between Ruli and Mercury, it means I never know which village to put them in, uh, they've got some lovely um, at really village level from on that, the, the first bit which I ring which is the plateau above the village, and they've got they don't have any premier crews um, I don't think uh, but they have uh, in Metre, they have got two village vineyards for certain, they have Brigadier which is there and they have the one we've got which is Les Marqueurs, which is there zap So I mentioned right at the start uh, that this is the uh, biggest of the villages. Sometimes um, the sometimes was called the Région de Mercure. It's the area that was sort of best known historically um, uh, across the centuries. It has clearly been the leader. Um, it's got a lot of premier crews, too many for my mind, but almost justified. Um, and uh, they're talking of adding more, but, uh, It's incredibly, it's been so difficult for Marseille to get its premier cruise sorted out, or for that, we we say. But that has now happened officially. Third of September, they announced and said, your premier cruise are now in place. Um, But let's come back to Mercury. You've got this, which they call the the golden croissant or crescent. Um, And uh, so you're mostly south-facing, east-facing, south-facing, or south and a bit of west there. You've also got sort of a V-shape down here in um, uh, a little bit, falling over to the next village, um, Saint-Martin-sur-Montagu. You've got a couple up here and one there. Uh, actually, if you go back originally, uh, again, theoretically to do with German occupation, the vineyards which were made Premier Cruise right at the start were Clos Marcy, this is going to test me, Clos Voyant, two, Claude Du Roy, three, Claude montaigu four, Le Forno 5 and you can see that they're all slightly towards the lower ground and the sorts of areas which maybe were more liable to be have factories put on them rather than these chaps up here. Um, So you know if I had my way all these villages would have fewer rather than more premier crews because I really want the premier crews to stand out. I think it's so important that I think somebody buying a premier crew should have something which is significantly different from a village version and it's worth of a premium of a minimum of 25%, uh, perhaps more. So uh, I haven't started uh, tasting this. I see you guys are way ahead of me. I'm going to decant my LED guan because I think am going to pour it away. They Chants de la Oh, yeah. Even, even still in its bottle, this has got a pretty deep colour. These guys are so absolutely intense in what they do in the vineyards. It's not rocket science. They're not changing the basic game. They're just doing it, spending more hours on it, and doing it better than most other people. Though our other mercury producer is also a maniac in the vineyards. We're going to come to him in a second. But this shows in the wines. And even now that they're in Rully and Mercury, which are slightly more forgiving appellations than they go to Kuspar, their wines have a lot of structure and are for the long term. But every time I go there, I'm impressed. And for me, um, as I say, they're sort of on the cusp between Rudy and Mercury. But they are one of the standout producers of Coach Alanaise. And they don't make a big fuss about it. Uh, for many of you, this might be the first time you've had them. Make a, make a call on chat, please, if anybody has had their wines before. But I think for a number of you, this could be uh, an introduction. Hmm. wherever they're replanting what they're doing is not replanting old vineyards they're replanting any vineyard where they think that the Pinot is, or Chardonnay is not up to standard uh, or where it's suffered from the wretched Esker disease which has been causing such damage to sort of 15 to 30 year old vineyards they've been dying off um, so those are the ones they're replanting and they are replanting them slightly higher density 13,500 plants per hectare Instead of 10,000 normal for the Cote de Bain and sometimes a bit less of that in the Cote Chalonese. Don't know the price, Paul, but I mean, you know, they're, they're going to be a bit more expensive than the middle of the road people for sure, but they, you know, they're not stratospheric either. They don't have a, a secondary market price. Um, so uh, normally destemmed. stemmed. I think this has been, he sometimes uses up to a third whole bunch, maybe beginning, but he does decide on what he wants to do in the vintage. He used more in 2015, but less in 17 and, and, and hardly at all in 18. Mm. Oof. Really intense. Cherry is the main fruit that comes to mind but a red cherry, no black cherry here, you've got both quite high acidity and quite um, noticeable tannins. So having this just tasted on its own, it's almost too fierce, but there's nothing in there that suggests to me that the balance isn't right for the long-term future, because nothing is drying the wine out. They're good tannins, um, and they are. Sean has just commented that the aftertaste is a little bit strange, and I think the structure is dominating the wine a tiny bit at the moment, but, um, if any of you 've got food handy then 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 take a big nibble of something. but that could stand up to some uh, quite substantial red meat even. Um, we might think of the Cote wines as being a bit lighter, but uh, that 's got some some oomph to it um, it 's a, it's a, it's a reddish soil here, uh, a limestone with with uh, quite a lot of uh, red earth and even some chips of of, of red stones there 's probably a lot of iron in soil in marker. And um, um, I mean, it's not not claiming to be a premier crew, but it's next to two quite good ones, the Clouezet which I think belongs to Faverly. This area is all very much Faverly area: Formozier, but Monto, Merveil, and the Clouezet Um And if we come to where's my little my favourite producers. Uh, Faverly are right up there, and they are one of the two really big producers of mercury. And the other one, rather surprisingly, is the Chateau de Santonet, which nobody really thinks much about. And I used to find the wines uh, very aggressively over extracted, but there is an almost completely new team, both in management and in winemaking there. And uh, I went to the taste it a year ago, I booked to go this autumn. I think we might start seeing some interesting stuff. And they, uh, they've got 70 odd hectares of mercury. I think it's similar for Favely. So they're the two really big uh, players in volume. Um, so, uh, But as well as Favoury, um there are other top players. And uh, maybe when we move to the next one, I think we can do that, in fact. Uh, so um, I will leave to last my, my other selection for tonight. Um, but we have got, um, as well as uh, Anna Azar and Isabel, who just tasted, uh, Laurent Mouton is making some really good wines now. You've got Domaine de Suroma, I think, relative of the chap who has the uh, uh, Chateau de Montelis. Uh They've got a good wide range. Um, uh, Tolo Juillot, and indeed um, uh, Michel Juillot or the Juillot family. Um, looking down my list is François Rackier. Um, there are actually quite a few others. I should mention uh, Chateau de Chameray, who's another biggish player. and what's really good about what they're doing is they are being a leader of trying to bring in tourism to the region and trying to get the name really well known and the wines are very good uh, and were strong candidates for a showing tonight but i wanted to show uh the um sort of the special guy if you like at the top of the tree who is bruno lorenzon um i haven't got a picture of him uh so we're going to stay on the map um and uh, i will just show you where he's uh, he actually makes several wines out of this vineyard here. It is Les champs Martin, his sort of special spot. Uh, he's the one who talked to me a lot about the golden croissant, um, which I m- marked out to you before. He makes white wines from the top of this vineyard, and several other people do too, red wines from the bottom. And he also has a, a couple of special cuvets, which mostly come from uh, champs Martin, uh, including one called Cuvé Carline, named after his wife. His wife comes from Montagny, and I did give you a small trail for this when we were in Montagny. But when I went and tasted with Bruno in February, uh, expecting to like his reds, and I did like his reds very much, I was knocked out by the quality of the Montagny's. Uh, and you know, another time we could have put one of those in, but I didn't want to give him two bites of the cherry. But um, from vineyards originating with his father in law, uh, I, I was absolutely struck by them. Really powerful wines, but. Uh, without going over the top, um, and uh, yeah, I um, recommend seeking those out. Um, now the reds are a little bit more controversial because it depends what you really want from your Pinot Noir. And if you're in the lighter, more ethereal camp, then he's not for you. If you want body and uh, intensity and tension, then then probably are. So um, let's get mine. I haven't. To drink out one of the others, I think my big wine is probably get strong. Mm. Already the wines are opening it out more. Just a reminder, I'm sure I've mentioned this before. These lovely Zalto glasses. One general tendency is that they reinforce acidity and they soften tannins. So, I'm getting good acidity in all these wines. Um, and uh, with tannins, with a bit of luck for the more tannic wines, will get a touch softened. So, Bruno Laurentzon uh, trains as the anologist, then goes to work uh, with the uh, tonellary, local Cooper, tonellary de Mercure, I believe, um, and uh, then says, okay, um, uh, I know about the barrels now. Let's make sure we got some good wine to put in them. So he then starts uh, developing uh, his own domain and uh, obviously, therefore, to use his barrels. It was quite interesting when I went to taste with him, which was might be the second time, but it was certainly the first time from a, for a really long time. Um, and um, he said, OK, I'm going to talk to you for 20 minutes before we actually start tasting any wine or anything like that because I need you to understand all the things I'm doing before we taste the wine. Because otherwise, you'll just look at it and think, OK, I know, I know about grape. I know what a microarray should taste like. And you'll think of it in those ways. But I really want to get over the whole concept of, of, of what I do. So the first thing he does is he has enormously increased the density of his planting, and he's enormously increased the height of the vines. So they now get um, trained up at 1 meter 80. And he was very early to do this. I mean, I don't say he's earlier than La Louvice Loire, but uh, uh, he's been doing it for, for, uh, for quite a few years. And uh, so that was his, um, his first thing. And then the extra density and the extra foliage uh, is giving him uh, very good concentration, very good brightness. He's not frightened of brightness. So he is happy. Uh, he can live with it if it goes up into um, some of the uh, We could have a little look, actually. Just saying thirteen point five i'll just give you the uh, the other reds um, thirteen for the coach thirteen for the village Mercury, thirteen point five for the last two reds, this one and the juvery, and our two whites said thirteen point five, and the really was actually fourteen, but it didn 't taste like that did it um, so um so he's, he actually even gave me a figure of the costing of his vineyard work. And I, I need to get this from, uh, um, uh, from a normal person to find out how much more it is. But he reckons that the way he trains his vineyards, it costs him 800 man-hours per hectare. And, and he's very keen to keep years down to 35 hectoliters a hectare, which, uh, OK, if you're in a grand crew, you, you probably aim at 35, 38. And um, don't mind if you hit 40 and don't want to go below 30 for most people. But if 35 in the Coach Chaloners is, is is making a significant statement. Um, once you get in the cellar, he's an absolutely maniac about managing the exact amount of the oxygen ingression, carbon dioxide, tiny, tiny bases of sulfur when it's needed, but not more. Um, somebody's asked about the barrels. Um, He's actually been reducing the percentage of new wood. When I first tasted these wines, there were a lot. I don't think, I'm just having a little look at a note here. Um, I don't know, I don't have, I don't, can't give you an actual uh, percentage of of, uh, new oak on this. Um, But they are from the Tonellary de Mercure uh, entirely. Bigger barrels, 500 litre barrels for whites, but. uh, Uh, I think, um, more in normal size for the reds. Um, So this Jean martin um, these are lower down on the slope, as I mentioned. uh, Exposed southwest, so we're probably going to be more over on this side of it. Um, And he's using about uh, two thirds of whole bunches uh, in the wine. And smelling it, I can get a little bit of that lifted uh, red berry. Not, we're not quite in the, the wine is too concentrated to be the crushed str- strawberry note that I often talk about. Uh, plenty of tannins, darker fruit in this wine than in either of the two previous reds that we've had. Is that him? Is that Jean Martin? I think it's something of both. Yeah, Paul, <laughs> citing the Russian River. I, um, this is, I said, the setting half on the label. When I tasted the 18s with him, we, they were hitting 14. And he said, okay, it was a choice. He's one of those who insists on waiting for ripeness. You know, Pierre damois and various other people. And the um, physiological and phenolic ripeness of the grape matters more and will live with the higher sugar levels uh, is his way of looking at it. And um, I'm open to uh, all different ways of doing it, but you've got to do it well within your chosen style, and he, he certainly does. What I've selected for us tonight are two tannic mercuries, because almost all mercury is tannic, but two which have got such concentrations of fruit that that will win the battle over the tannins. I think I'm going to leave the discussion on the difference between juvery and that We have a juvery, but I am forming some opinions. Where you get high tannins, though, are in regions which have quite a lot of clay and a certain amount of humidity. So you can see here you've actually got a river that flows through the middle of the Appalachian. Um, and it's in the damper, richer soils that you tend to get slightly unripe tannins because um, the uh, Work uh, that goes into the vine tends to favour the leaf production more than the grape ripening under those conditions. Now, with global warming, um, that should is changing because uh, what's happening is that the uh, heat is drying out um, the uh, slightly humid uh, soils, and so you're getting a better balance in what hits the vines and then the grapes. And as a result, you're getting more balanced and slightly finer tannins than you had the difference before. Um, they did actually do a lot of work because they used to have real water problems here in 1988. They redid the drainage of a significant number of areas. And some of these roads that you see, uh, the one that comes from Alouz down through here, down there, that's one, but there are several others. Uh, they're actually now um, concrete roads in a V-shape, a light V-shape going down to dip in the middle so that um, water can run down there and then be drained off at the uh, requisite points. And you can see this will be an artificial lake down there that it drains into. Um, there we go. Just keep an eye on time because I'm running over. I don't want my fish tonight to be spoiled. Um, so uh, anyway, so this is the very... Magical, intense, Sean martin The 2018 is years away from being ready to drink, this 2017 isn't too far away, uh, but tasting the structure of this wine it's clearly going to keep for quite a long while. I think what I'm going to have to um, get Bruno to do next time we go and see him is to do a little vertical so that we can we can see how things go, going back a number of years. But he has changed, he has matured, I did think his wines were a little bit overaked and over extracted when I first met them, and I've revised my opinion. Yum. Good. So um let me think. I'm not sure I did yes, I did give you I did give you my names in Mercury. So now we can move to um Givri. And um this is a village which, traditionally, across the years, I have preferred to Mercury, as much as I like those two Mercury's. Um, Our map here is inaccurate, because this is the map from my book. The book came out in 2010, but obviously was prepared a tiny bit beforehand. And Givry have gone ahead, and they've got now nearly 50% Premier cruise because, um, draw a little line here, the top half of this vineyard and that vineyard and Chomlello and the new vineyard, well, not a new vineyard, but it wasn't on this map, Chamblalo, uh have all, all the top halves have been turned into Premier Cru. I'm not going to remember all of them. Les Galafres here is Premier Cru. Several vineyards in Jambles are Premier Cru. Um nice story, this actually. Uh, where have we gone? This vineyard here, why on earth is that Premier Cru? You're down on the flat by the main road, well away from any of the others, and that's Premier Cru too. It's a monopoly uh, belonging to the domain François Lump. And um, when the commission came through and decided what new vineyards could be made, Premier Cru, they didn't include this one. And he said, oi, why not me? And they were coming back, the commission, to, to sort of deliver a final verdict. And it ju- just so happened that uh, François Lamb, for some other work that he was doing, he had a, a little bulldozer on site. So they told him that it wasn't being considered for Premier Cru because it didn't have the right source structure. So he trundled up with a bulldozer, uh, opened up a little section of the soil and said, have a good look in there. And they went in, they had a look and they said, gosh, you're right. It is exactly the same soil structure as up here. You've got the same different layers of uh, geology. Uh, OK, uh, <laughs> we'll give you Premier Cru for that after all. Well, um, who knows? Uh, I, I, I like the story. I like François Lamp. I really like his wines. He's a contender. He's in my top three uh, in Juvry, um, uh, and uh, uh, and the wine is good. Um, but even so, uh, I think it was a happy chance that he had a bulldozer on site at the time. So the um, frankly, what I would do is I would reduce the premier cruise, I'm going to be severe, and I'm going to say you can have this bit of slope, which is east facing, and this bit of slope, which is south facing. That is the absolute heart of Juvry. Uh, it so happens I do rather like the wines from Clos here, and I've had some very good wines from Crozot, which is just there, and Grand and various others. But that is the real heart. And I think they've, they've expanded a little bit more than they ought to have done. Um, so, uh, my favourite producers. Um, uh, I've cited uh, Lump. Uh, Rago, I think, is very good indeed. Um, would be most, is most often cited as the number one uh, producer. There has been uh, a change of generation there. Um, there are two brothers, with whom Jean-Marc was the winemaker, has retired, and his, his um, much quieter uh, brother uh, still works in the vineyards, will retire in another couple of years. And it's, I think it's Jean-Marc's uh, daughter who has taken over. Um, I was a tiny bit disappointed, I'm afraid, by my last visit there. And uh, I tried to ask her what the difference was in the uh, background soils of the various different vineyards, premier crews that they have, And she said, well, they're all so close together, there isn't really a difference. And I was disappointed by that. Uh, and however, my spirits were very much lifted by my next visit to a producer who I had known by name. Um, and there was a, a slight error in my book about uh, how the wines are the ownership and how they're distributed, which was exacerbated in the French translation. So uh, I got my wrist slapped by the new owner, um, Monsieur Philippe Pascal, and, uh, uh, because his, he and his family have owned it now uh, for a little while, since the early 2000s. see so if we can get uh, uh, something more exact on that. And uh, to begin with, they had somebody else making the wine. And then they took the winemaking in-house. But they had the distribution done by uh, the Dubinard family of Sheffield Um, But they've actually um, uh, owned it for uh, quite some time. And uh, now they have really, they took back uh, distribution from uh, 2014. Um, and they've got a, a new winemaker called Guillaume Marco, who they've just promoted to being um, uh, sort of co-director of the business. This is their vineyard here, Célier au Moine. They don't own the monopoly of it. They have one wonderful old sort of monastic buildings on it. And they've now built themselves a brand new winery uh, just down here, uh, in, sort of on the edge of the quarry. Um, it is on the edge of the quarry because you've actually, it's got three or four different levels, each of which can have access to the outside. So the grapes arrive at the top and then the bottles can disappear at the bottom and everything is totally gravity flow. And it's been built in the form, the shape of the building. I, fortunately, my picture of it didn't come out well enough. But the shape of the building lo- looks very um, uh, monastic. Um, and it's right next door to a, uh, a negotiant's cote winery. Um, I won't say the name of it because I'm about to be rude about the building, but it really looks like a, um, a 1950s Soviet uh, sort of biological warfare factory. And it's sort of hidden away in another dip inside the quarry, um, which is fine. It doesn't need to be pretty because you can't see it from the road or anywhere else but from a helicopter um, or from the new winery of the Cilier people. So um, I went there, I tasted with uh, Guillaume, and uh, uh, would, should, let's just uh, flip forward to a couple of pictures, if we may, Ronan uh that it's not a very good picture unfortunately uh but it's part of the building and you can see the, the classical the lovely stonework and the beams and the um, rest of it and Guillaume's modern car and then he himself a nice cheerful chappy uh in the vineyards next one please oops now you've jumped one i'll tell you about that picture in a second or have we lost it now we've lost the picture of um if we had it uh, no, maybe I didn't include that picture. It's all right, you can go to the ladies. You've shown people the ladies, we'd better tell them about them. Sorry, Josh, but yeah, we thought about the we've last got to one. do that. Um, so, this is um, Gabrielle Destre, who was mistress of King Henry IV of France. And in the old days, every single bottle of Chivri appeared in the marketplace, it said Levin Prefere, the preferred wine of King Henry IV. And that was because his mistress uh, came from Chivri. Uh, she allegedly preferred Mercure. But uh, the title of this, it's in the Louvre, painted in 1594, uh, is uh, Gabrielle Destrein and one of her sisters. And obviously, uh, her sister was trying to get the archers on Radio 4, long wave and was just trying to, dial, uh, to fine-tune the dialing because she wasn't getting very good uh, um, coverage. The interesting thing about this picture, actually, apart from looking at ladies, uh, uh, topless ladies, is that everything that's going on is left-handed, her left hand. That is supposedly Henry the ring in Gabrielle d'Estrees' left hand. Uh, the lady behind, doing a bit of tapestry, is working with her, her left hand as well. Okay, we can we can forget the ladies for a minute, but uh, go back to we will have the picture, of the maps of the vineyards back though, if we may. Keep that going for a bit. Boying, thank you. Um, so. The cellier wine actually has been planted with not that good Pinot. Uh, the more recent plots are excellent Pinot. The older plots are less good Pinot, and they're being replanted. And there's a little block at the top, which is not Premier Cru, where they have replanted at ultra-high uh, density called uh, Clos Pascal, which is the family name of the uh, of the new uh, owners. So um, now this, I oops, on. if you follow my... Um, the wine critiques, you will see that I give um, a star system as well as points out of 100, and this was one of the rare wines in 2017 of this, which got the full five stars. I tried to be very, very um, strict in offering those out. Um, hmm. So this is the most whole bunch of anything we've had. This is 80% whole bunch. But it's. It doesn't totally steal the show. I mean, it, it's there as part of how it's done. <laughs> ah, I'm glad I said nice things because I can see that the, the boss man Philippe Pascal is listening in. Yes, Philippe, I will tell you that I am frequently rude about wines if they aren't up to standard. But in this particular instance, I chose my coach, uh wine's six uh, producers who, in recent um, tastings, uh, I think are really standing out. And uh, you would have seen some of the other comments going on, that the team listening in with the wines are also really enjoying them. Mm. What I said when I tasted um, at the cellar, fine, even mid-purple, this is a very lovely nose, upwards of 80% whole bunch, comes out gently. Perfect judge ripeness, a sweet cherry center, which covers the tannins that follow. I'll come back to the tannins. Um, Whole bunch may help in that too. This is extremely fine, a harmonious whole, and a dainty finish with a briare character of successfully managed whole bunch modification. So well done, Guillaume, who uh, I think you made a great choice there with your technical director stroke winemaker. But the tannins of Chiffre, I find across the board, are usually finer than the tannins of Mercure. And it's possible, but not the whole story. It's possible that on the whole, there is a better selection of Pinot Noir in Chiffre than in Mercure. It's the big picture, uh, part of the picture, part of the jigsaw throughout Burgundy, which is too often left out of discussions, and which is the quality of the um, vegetative material. So uh, I think that's a pretty happy uh, six wines for us to choose from. We're going to do the uh, usual poll. I'll have a look at the remaining questions while we do it. Uh, and then if we can put the poll up. I've slightly gone over time, but I see we haven't lost members yet. Celia, if you're there, maybe have the poll. You are invited to vote for any two wines out of those uh, six as your favorites. In whatever way you want to. Uh, it's been set up so Renan and I can't vote, but I will, I may or may not tell you my favorites because there are too many that I really like. Um, but uh, make, place your votes, place them quickly. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, we will drop that down and we will come up with the answers almost immediately. Aren't we clever? Right. So in um, sixth position we have the Bourgoyne Cochrane's from De Vilain. Well they can console themselves with a bottle of Romani Conti tonight and said sorry, in sixth position we have poor old Alain Isabel Azar, they didn't score. I'm sorry about that. I like that wine. Um, fifth position then is de Vilain. Fourth position is Anadin Montagny. I did deal them a slightly difficult card there uh, in that that isn't the best wine in their range. Um, and they've done well to get 21%. Uh, so we have a second equal rather than third. We have the Rue Les Magrottés, and we have the Bruno Lorenzon. They f- fully deserve that. And Philippe, you'll be pleased to see that on this occasion, you've come out on top. Um, I would... Oh, dear. There are, I wouldn't have voted for Aladam because it wasn't the best cuvée. Uh, I do like that Mercure from Mazar. Uh Man, I mean, so, so much to like. If you forced me to vote for two, I'm going to take Vincent Duroy, Roy, Chant- and Le Uh Stick with my favoritism of the Givry Givri and the Mercure. But, but frankly, I think our team of winemakers tonight have done us a really, really good job. Um, so. Um, was a, when was the classification in this area? Uh, the, the classification of Premier Cruises has happened steadily from 1943 onwards, but the apart from Bouzeron, which didn't come until 1998, the other um, most of the villages were made as appellations back when everything else was in 1936-38. Givry was just after the war. It was a tiny bit later, but only a little bit later. Um, drinking window for the Jouvery, Um It's sort of fruity enough and and enough to be possible to start uh, but I think it's a fine enough wine that I would want to wait for it to be absolutely at its best and so we're three plus years time uh, three to five Ming um, asks if anyone does 100% whole bunch of fermenting perhaps not in the Coach Chalonnais but some people do, a number of people do elsewhere the only issue with that is that if you haven't broken up the grapes at all you need to do a bit of foot treading uh, to get a little bit of juice going, otherwise uh, the wine never escapes out of it, but some people do. Um, um. Paul, um, there's more than a sense of overdoneness to me in some of these, uh, which produces, if, aim, if any, aim for finesse above all else. I don't know that the Cote Chalonnais is the top area for finesse. Um, so I... Th- we have this English expression of trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Uh, and I'm not sure that silk purses are natural in the coach Cheminaires. So I think I've chosen a couple of people who do go quite strongly in the direction of making uh, a powerful wine. Um, I think that they've stopped short of overdone this. Um, there's nothing there where I really felt that they had, had taken it too far. Um, but um, on the whole I'm not especially looking here if I want to go for my ultra-elegance I think there's a lot of elegance in that juvery, um at the end uh, I might come back to you privately with one or two uh, uh, other thoughts um, Domaine de la Folly would be one who were who, who, who hitting the elegance uh, uh, side I think Vincent Giroy and plenty of his wines are elegant that was one of his more powerful ones that I chose. Um, yeah, no, good good point, interesting discussion. And I always find your questions difficult to, to answer. Deborah, I'm delighted that you've had your first uh, tasting with 67 palm mile tonight and you've enjoyed it. That's really, really good news. Um, yeah, and Philippe also points out that they've gone by a dynamic, I missed uh, adding that. Um, Alistair, the Dukes of Hauser, they didn't get any votes. They really did deserve some votes. Uh, and I don't think that wine is overdone. I just think that it is in a very tightly knit style. Um, but it, it doesn't fulfill what Paul was wanting to uh, find in the finesse stroke ethereal side. Uh, my fish calls me. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Jasper. Um, just quickly tell us, you've got something quite exciting coming up on the 20th, I believe. Uh, the 20th is tomorrow. Uh, oh, sorry, the 30th. The Romani. something uh, yeah. Uh, right, just remind me if you've got the crib sheet there. romani sem what... Uh Oh yes, 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 yes. Uh, somebody has uh, said, why aren't we doing some more of the grander ones? So I am going to do a series of single Grand Cru vineyards, uh, looking at six different producers from one vineyard. Sometimes it will all be one vineyard, uh, vintage, sometimes it will be mixed vintages. Uh, but no expense spared. We're going to include, uh, if Romani-Conti have got a presence, they're going to be in the tasting. Um, we haven't, we haven't got the main Loire and the Musines that might have been too much for the, uh, the bank balance, but, uh, uh, they should be fun, but we're going to mix in with those, some, uh, friendly ones, which are, uh, not quite so, um, uh, top end. So over the next, uh, two or three months, I'll be doing not every week anymore because uh, it gets really busy, but I'll be doing at least three a month, uh, of which at least one a month will be Grand Cruise. Thank you for coming. Uh, See you again next time. Thank you, Rayna. Thank you, Celia, behind the scenes. And uh, thank you all for joining in.